the way I look at it is like, you have one life. And I'm like, what do you want to be doing? This is Personal Jurisdiction, a podcast where we get personal with lawyers about their careers. On today's episode, we welcome Sambal Siddiqui, mayor of the city of Cambridge. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We are here today with our very first guest, so we're super excited to introduce you to Sambal Siddiqui. Sambal is currently serving her second term on the Cambridge City Council, and she's also the mayor of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And Hallie and I actually also went to law school with her. So we're super excited to talk to her about government and public interest and how she became the mayor of the city where she grew up. So welcome, Sambal. It's so great to be here. Thank you both for having me. We're so glad you're here. So I think we just want to start with kind of your background. Obviously, you have an interesting story before you even got into public service and, uh, you know, went to law school. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. So I was born in Pakistan and we came here when we were really young, myself, my mom and dad and uh, my twin brother. And we were able to, you know, find our way to Cambridge because of the affordable housing here. And so we had early access, you know, to various resources. And so I just remember these resources really shaping my life and um, me early on wanting to give back to the city that gave me so much. And so uh, it's really an honor to serve as mayor now and in my hometown, uh, having gone through the public school system here, having gone to the local high school where I was very involved in you know local government issues and that certainly piqued my interest to one day running for office and so after law school that's what I decided to do. Awesome well I know that public housing and public schools and all of those things are big parts of your sort of platform so I want to get into obviously what you do as mayor but before we do that can you just tell us you know, where you went to law school when you graduated, kind of the law school piece of things and how that contributed to, you know, where you are today. Yeah, so I went to law school uh, at Northwestern and my path there was, you know, it was different. I think I, my parents, their careers from India, Pakistan didn't really translate over. And so, you know, my mom was a cashier, is a cashier and my dad, you know, always worked numerous jobs and they were kind of like, okay, you have to do something with your life. You have to have a career. And they were like, lawyers have careers. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'll go to law school. And in retrospect, probably, you know, should have done a little bit more research, uh, but <laughs> I, you know, ultimately got into to Northwestern and, um, you know, the Northwestern experience was it was unique. You know, I wouldn't say I'm one of those people who said, oh, I love law school or and so forth. But I did find my way to different classes, different clinics, one of which was the entrepreneurship law clinic and another internship where, you know, I worked at a nonprofit called uh, through the law project and also did kind of community development type of work. And I really liked that part of law, the, the, kind of the fast results versus the litigation and kind of seeing 
um, you know, you, you know, things for businesses uh, happen over time um, in, a, in a short time period, whether it's leases, whether it's, you know, a contract. And I said, huh, this is, I really like doing this. I like that one-on-one with, um, with uh, these, these clients. And so I was, you know, on the road of how do I do something like this one day? And so it was, it was not a great, it was, it was, it was a law school taught me a lot of useful skills. I think it, it also reinforced for me, okay, I do want to be in the public interest. I'm not sure what that looks like. Uh, so I, after law school, you know, dabbled, you know, in a few different things. Ultimately, I ended up doing um, legal aid at a nonprofit that had a pretty niche practice, which was the community development practice. And so it was literally working with low income entrepreneurs in three cities in Massachusetts that are really low income, Lawrence, uh, Lowell and Lynn, uh, and helping these you know, immigrant entrepreneurs start their businesses and offering free legal services, transactional legal services, whether it's you know writing uh, their contracts, making sure that they have um, you know the right you know a good lease, uh, if they want to buy property, having a good purchase and sale agreement for the business they want to buy. The list goes on. I did a lot of different type of legal work uh, through that. So. I think that was kind of the most valuable part of my law school experience, kind of having that entrepreneurship law clinic. And it really did play a role into the future work that I did uh, as a lawyer. That's really interesting, Sumbul, that the entrepreneurship law clinic also connected with your love of public service that you developed prior to law school and then kind of afforded you an outlet to do that very same thing, incorporating many of your law school skills. I wanted to go back to after law school time because something that you shared with us when we chatted a couple days ago was that you actually didn't pass the bar the first time you took it. And I wondered how that influenced your career and the choices you made after law school. Yeah, you know, I remember with the law school exam, July, 2014. And I went in it really nervous and scared and really doubting myself. And I think right after I sat for it, those two days, I was like, you know, I don't feel good about it. And so I had this feeling and then lo and behold, October, I find out that I didn't pass. And it was, it was a very challenging time because everyone around you is passing. Right. And it's a very easy for me. I saw two paths. I was like, you know, I could get really upset about this and sad and down. And I did that for a little bit. And then I said, you know, or I'll take it again and, you know, be confident. And I think the second time I took it, I went in with such a different attitude and it showed itself. It really, I I felt really good after the exam. I felt like, you know, I, I passed it. And I think that mentality piece was really critical. Uh, during that time, I was able to find law clerk positions, which were really good experiences. Well, one more so than the other, but I I think it was a challenge because, you know, if you usually, uh, you know, if you did a summer, you know, law firm situation, you'd, you'd do, you'd get an offer. I didn't do any of that. And so I didn't have a job or a permanent job. And so it was a struggle, I think, in Massachusetts, too. I was here and everyone kind of was like, oh, you went to Northeastern. And I'm like, oh, no, I went to Northwestern. And everyone, 
it was just constant like no 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 and I went to Northwestern so people were like really it was hard to, for people to place me too and they were really confused they were like oh you so that was a huge hurdle too so it was really challenging I think I applied to so many different jobs and you know, I think it just takes the one. And I think it took that one that was just so up my alley. And I was like, this is a dream job. And it, it timing worked out and it all, it took a while to get there. Um, it was a struggle to, you know, be a law clerk, even after I passed the bar exam and it was tough, it was tough. So I'm not going to say it was easy, but I think it, you survive. And I think it teaches you a lot of resiliency. <laughs> Definitely. And that's one thing we've tried to highlight in our own stories and hope to continue to highlight this season on the podcast is that your first job doesn't have to be your job for life. You can still get some good experience or have some personal growth out of it, but there's always the opportunity to pivot and make a change. And I also just want to say, I mean, I think the perseverance piece of it, right? Like, as you said, it's important to like feel down and feel the feelings about the situation you went through. But at the same time, like you had something in mind that, you know, you wanted to do at the end of the day and you, it may have looked a little bit different, you know, the path that you ended up going to get there. But as you said, you had some additional experiences that helped inform, you know, what you did in the future. And so I just feel like perseverance, you know, is something that if you, if there's something you really want to do out there, there's probably a way to reach it. It just might look a little bit different. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so I also just want to clarify, when you say law clerk positions, what sort of work were you doing in those positions? Yeah, so one, I was working in the Leslie University's general counsel office. So uh, it was transactional work. And so it was, you know, reviewing anything that the general counsel, which at Leslie University, it's a small university, um, they had one person. Uh, and so I was working really closely with her and she and I are actually still close to this day. Um, and she's a Cambridge resident. <laughs> so we, you know, she taught me so, so much just about reviewing documents and, uh, you know, a lot of that kind of attention to detail skills that I was able to practice with her. The other job was at a, get, get ready for this, is a professional um, de- defense uh, is law firm. So they really defend. What do they do? They, I, I, I've actually like tried to block it off because it was, it was probably, I cried a lot because it was a very hard environment. I was the only, I think, woman of color. Um, it was probably the only, really the only woman. Um, and it was, it was not great to be there. It was really hard to put myself and go to work every day to work for this firm. Um, so I think they've done much better with diversity in the years since I've, you know, parted from there, but they're uh, insurance defense. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. Okay. I mean, I feel like suffice it to say, like, it wasn't a good fit, right? Which is like, just as yes. important as figuring out what is a good fit is understanding when you get to a place, whatever it is, like the work culture, the work itself, like if your heart is not in it, mm-hmm you're not going to be happy. You're not probably not doing your best work and you're going to end up crying a lot. Like that's not a good, that's not a good place to be. Exactly. Yeah. I think it taught me that, okay, I don't want to do any kind of civil litigation uh, type work at all. Uh, And particularly not if it deals with, you know, professional liability defense. Yeah. You know, it was just like, wow, 
all right, checking that off. Yeah, right. Never. <laughs> Been there, done that, on to the next. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. And so then you made your way to legal aid, which obviously was a much better fit. And you told us a little bit about what you were doing there, which was the community development piece. And so obviously that ties much more into the work that you ended up, you know, you ended up in now. So let's get to what you're actually doing now. Can you just tell us about, you know, how you even decided to go about this endeavor? Because... I remember when you were starting out and you were like, yeah, I'm going to run for office. And I just remember thinking, like, are you serious? <laughs> you know, and you were like, yeah, no, I have a campaign and I'm doing this. And I was like, whoa, you're such a badass. So, yeah, if you can just tell us how you kind of decided to shift into that space and how you were able to make it happen. Yeah, it was been quite a journey. Now this is my fourth year in elected office. Uh, so in 2016, I think after that election, I, like many people were kind of like, oh man, what's, what do we have in store? Mm -hmm. So I, you knew about this program that I called Emerge and it's a national organization and it basically provides training for women who are interested in running for office. So I, I ended up doing a six month training program to kind of understand the nuts, nuts and bolts of how to maybe potentially run for office. Because I really had no clue. I was like, you have to raise money. You have to do a lot of field work. It was, there's a lot of uh, those details that are important. And in Cambridge, Cambridge is unique. We have a ranked choice voting system here. So essentially there's always on average, you know, 20 to 25 people running for nine seats and it's all at large. So it's an at large city election. And so you really have to, you have to distinguish yourself between all the other candidates who are running. And so it's, and you have to really make sure you get a certain number amount of number one votes to be one of the nine chosen. And so it's a very, um, you know, New York just did some ranked choice voting as well. And the whole goal is that you'll have like more representative people mm -hmm. running and there's a whole science to it. I, you know, I was like, huh, I am running. It's a crowded field of 26 people and it was 2017. Wow. And there were three people who on the prior city council decided not to run again. And so there were three open seats. And so I was able to get one of those seats. And so the whole process running for city council was difficult. Uh, but I think I ran for several reasons. I really wanted to combine my really love of constituent services, which I was really getting through legal aid with the broader uh, policy work and policy, you know, that had influenced my life, right? Affordable housing, uh, Head Start, all these different policies. And I wanted to work on that on a broader level. And I said, huh, I feel like elected office is the way to do that. And so I think people were drawn to the fact that I had a, you know, a legal background uh, I was one of, you know, few, I think there were maybe two, three other candidates who had law degrees, but I was definitely one of the youngest to have a law degree. I'm someone who's grown up in the city, you know, who's, you know, has, you know, a background of doing service work. And I had re-invested in getting involved in different nonprofits and serving on boards and commissions. So, you know, I think people were drawn to that. And so I had that kind of appeal. And so... 
I was successful in that first election. And then I ran again in 2019 and I was a top vote getter. Woo! And um, yes, thank you. And then my colleagues on council voted uh, for me as mayor. And so it's also different in Cambridge. The people don't elect the mayor, the council, whoever gets chosen to be on the council chooses the mayor. So it's kind of two little mini, you know, two little elections, you know, and like the latter, which you have to have good relationships with your colleagues on the council, um, because there have been years where there's no mayor for a while because people can't make a decision. And that's not good for Gosh, the city, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I was unanimously voted. And then the pandemic. Oh my gosh. Okay, so wait, I just want to go back for one second to the city council election um, when you first ran in 2017, because I was listening to your podcast, um, (laughs) which uh, we will have a plug for later. But uh, you were just talking about like door knocking and how it's just so sweaty and like sweaty. Yeah. (laughs) You're just like on the ground doing that and sweating so much. And I just want to like highlight or like ask you to speak for a minute about like what it's really like to get into one of these positions because I think you know people think like oh my gosh you know the mayor of a city that you grew up in obviously that's an incredible accomplishment but to get there the day-to-day of what you're actually doing you know is really hard and it's like a lot of incredibly difficult door knocking work and even when we were on the call a couple days ago you were saying like from X time to X time every single night, like I'm going door knocking, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, it is definitely, it's a whole other job. You know, you're doing the job and then you're doing this campaign job. And so door knocking is a huge part of it. And yeah, I think in 2017 and 2019, I did a lot of doors. And right now as mayor, I have less time, unfortunately, but I'm still doing doors as much as I can possibly as possible but the field plan is really the most important um aspect of the campaign because we also you know we struggle with like the low voter turnout in our municipal elections so it's really important that people go and meet you and go and vote Samuel, i want to go to the your election as mayor by the city council was that something you had to express interest in how does that work it was really funny. Uh, I remember that night I was getting texts from my colleagues being like, congratulations, congratulations, before I actually saw the results. And so I was like, oh, okay, I guess I did really well. Um, and, you know, that's when there becomes these one-on-ones you have with each of your colleagues to kind of say, you know, what are you thinking? Or what are you thinking? And I think at that time, I actually didn't say to anyone, you know, oh, I want to be mayor. I think I said, I don't want to be mayor. Like, I have time <laughs> for that. I don't I don't need to do this now. And that was my first reaction. And then over the kind of ensuing weeks, people were like, no, we want you to be mayor. You know, people want you to be mayor. Look, you got so many votes, you know, X, Y, Z. And yeah. I had to kind of tell myself, you know, some boy, you can do this. You can be mayor. And I was really concerned about like school committee. And as mayor in Cambridge, you're also the chair of the school committee, which is a huge responsibility. And past mayors have usually been on the school committee first, and then they run for city council. And so I didn't have that kind of school committee background. And so I was really worried about that. I was, that was my biggest worry, but people were like, oh, you can do it, you can do it. So I, I basically, 
was able to kind of confirm among the council that I would have the votes to be mayor. And usually you can vote for yourself and then you need four other people to vote for you. Okay. And usually that's kind of the breakdown. Usually it's never unanimous. So the fact that I got a unanimous vote, I think, was very nice. And it's like, wow, then I had to deal with COVID. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I want to go to COVID, but I have one more question, which is, you kind of alluded to this, but do you ever have imposter syndrome? Because I just feel like being in your position, obviously, you know, I I think you're probably the youngest, if not one of the youngest people to be, you know, mayor of a city like Cambridge. And so, you know, I'm just curious if that sort of ever creeps in or like doubt or anything like that, or if you know, at this point, you feel like you have enough experience, so you're confident in, in where you're at. No, definitely. I think I definitely have that. And I think it's something that I am getting better with. But it is one of those things where sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, oh my, I'm the mayor, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, you see my sign outside City Hall, like, you know, we have these billboards that say Mayor Sambal Siddiqui. And I'm like, wow. I, sometimes I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And then you know, I think because of COVID, it's like, I really didn't have time to kind of have those doubts. You know, you just have to lead and you have to kind of exude even inside if you're like, oh my gosh, this is, who knows how this is going to go. Um, and there were those moments, like anything I did, but you know, you want to come up, people want to have faith in you. And I think with COVID, people were looking for like two mirrors, right? To just for guidance, such a scary time. I had to kind of snap out of that. Um, but yeah, totally imposter system, so, so syndrome is real, but I think I constantly tell myself, you know, I belong here. I've worked very, very hard. I work really hard. I do the work and I get things done. And I think, um, you know, it is, it's important that I'm here. Yeah, and I'm sure a unanimous vote doesn't hurt for your confidence either. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I want to ask about that before we move on, Allison. Sumble, what do you think contributed to your ability to be able to go from city council and then three years later to be elected mayor? You know, I think it was my ability to build relationships with the different facets of the council. We have some, we all are very like lefty, but I think some things... (laughs) Some people are like more democratic socialists. Some people are more, you know, let's study. And so you have to really figure out how to manage these relationships. And so I think my after my first term, I was able to kind of do that and build relationships with fo- folks. I also took a really hard decision and vote in in the in September of that year before my election, where I got a lot of pushback from a number of organizations and people who had supported me my first election. And then my second election, they kind of said, we don't like you anymore and you, you're horrible. And so people I think saw that and not saw that negativity towards me. And I think I took it with stride and I said, you know, I made a decision that uh, a vote that I think I made, I made the right decision. I was, able to get more housing for for people. And for me, that's the most important thing. And so people are upset that like I'd made the decision. And so that experience, and I think that also kind of helped me. Um, and I think my colleagues saw that as well. And um, 
that I was able to make a really tough decision and kind of do the right thing. And I think people appreciated that. So I think that's what led to my colleagues choosing me. Yeah, it's, it's, I think I'm, I, you know, I, I felt really honored to do it. And I think the, the, the worries about the committee and the school committee and all that, look, with COVID coming, I could never have been prepared, right? And so I rolled with it. <laughs> yeah, okay, so let's get into that. So you get elected in 2020, and then literally like a month or two later, COVID hits, is that the timeline? Yeah, The it's in March, usually the council goes to for a National League of Cities conference, which I went as a high school student uh, and I we were there. And we were like, why are we here? It seems like something's happening. Something's going to happen. And lo and behold, like three days, March 12th, everything changed. And I remember myself, the city manager, who I can talk about a little bit later, we were in this big conference room. And these experts from Italy and China were like, you have to close the schools down. And then we had to make a call to the schools and the superintendent they're like you have to we were gonna shut schools down and they were like what are you talking about (laughs) lies and i'll never forget that moment but everything changed so i'm here like trying to you know put my team together and also try you know there's things that you know typically happen through mayor's offices everything just gets canned everything's canceled and so, yeah, it was just saying, you know, how are we going to now respond to the pandemic? And so it was a lot of late kind of nights um, figuring out, like, what is next? What do we do? And coming up with different initiatives, whether it was relaunching the Mayor's Disaster Relief Fund, which we, my office relaunched and raised $5 million, you know, whether it was the, the daily testing that we had uh, for residents, you know, up until really, really recently, and now we're going back to, and if, unfortunately, now we're still dealing with a lot of unknown, yeah. um, which is yeah. unfortunate. So yeah, I guess so. during COVID, you know, obviously it's like a super tumultuous time. Everything goes out the window. What are, I guess, the initiatives that you're most proud of that you've been able to accomplished during the pandemic, given just the absolute craziness of of being the mayor of a city in the middle of a global pandemic and your first time as the head of the school board when you're having to tell them like, hey, we're shutting down the schools and they're kind of laughing at you. Yeah, yeah. So we, I think we did a lot of COVID pandemic work. And then within that, there were still, still things that we were able to do that um, I'm, I'm really proud of one in which is a guaranteed income pilot. And this pilot, it's basically going to be for 18 months, $500 monthly for single caretaker households. And it's called Cambridge Rise. And it's called, it uh, stands for Recurring Income for Success and Empowerment. And how this guaranteed income pilot came about, you know, it was many, many months in the making. And I joined a group called Mayors for Guaranteed Income that was started by former Mayor Tubbs, who had done a guaranteed income demonstration in Stockton, where he was mayor. And, you know, soon enough, many other mayors have joined. And really, the goal is to amass a body of evidence that shows that 
giving cash to families and people is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and we need more of it, right? We have this child care tax credit, which is a form of guaranteed income for kids, mm -hmm. right? And so really building on that, um, on that concept, there was going to be these pilots throughout the country. Uh, and we're one of them and we're partnering, all the pilots partner with a center for guaranteed income out of Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania. Um, where you yeah, at, right? Shout out. <laughs> yeah, shout out. So yeah, it's that's something I'm really proud of because it's innovative and it's going to be helping these single caretaker families who in Cambridge we know are at the kind of the lowest end who are really struggling and really through the mayor's disaster relief fund, the calls that came through my office, everything, these were from single households who really needed support. And so it was something that kind of came out of realizing, you know, even with a disaster relief fund where we were able to give cash to help people with, you know, household expenses, diapers, you name it, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that we can continue this on. And so that's something that I'm really excited about, Cambridge Rise. It's something that we've been working on um, and it's going to continue for, you know, at least for, for 18 months. That's awesome. That's really That's exciting. Yeah. I'd be interested to follow it and see how it goes. I'm always so excited when I get your weekly email in my box because <laughs> I don't even live in Cambridge, but I still sort of know what's going on because of your awesome updates. <laughs> I know that's so funny. I'm so glad you read it because people, that's how I kind of keep in touch with people. They're like, what's going on with you? I'm like, let me add you to my newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's so helpful. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay. So you are running for reelection again. Is that right? I am. You know, the hard thing about Cambridge, they're like two year terms. And so oh, wow. really a year and a half in, you're running again. And so. My election is November 2nd, and it's right now 21 candidates for nine seats. There's one opening. There's a counselor who's been on the council for 35 years. He's retiring. Wow. Uh, and uh, he was on when I was in high school. So. Oh, my <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember him from high school. So anyway, best wishes to him. But yeah, 30, 21 candidates. It's a competitive election. So... I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it. So it's a challenging time. Samuel, why are you running again? You know, it's a great question. I definitely asked myself that after this year, because I feel like I was very burned out. And I'm really running because I feel like there's still so much work to do. And there's still so many people to help. And I feel really lucky that people can call me you know, who may not speak English, who, you know, have never really contacted City Hall before. And they can say, look, I really need help on XYZ. Can you help me? And sometimes, yes, we can. Um, but for the most part, it's really, I see the office as being a conduit to, you know, whether it's helping people with, <laughs> I've gotten some really funny requests over the years, like, you know, being a fence viewer, which I won't even you with but um <laughs> but really kind of what it's like what it sounds like it's like a, if you're you're in dispute with your neighbor and it's like dealing with a fence we have a fence viewer and it's a city engineer anyway amazing <laughs> wow. okay yeah so you know a lot of architects talk about that. and so or it's you know 
I'm, I'm door knocking and folks are like, oh, I'm having a huge problem with my landlord. They haven't fixed this or this or this up. I need an inspection. You know, I'll make a call and get an inspector over there and make sure they're by law, they, they can have an inspection, right? So these small things to really larger issues, you know, around access to, you know, COVID testing, um, you know, how we're, you know, now we're reopening uh, our schools and what's that going to look like and information about vaccines. It's just, it's just, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to do. And so I'm running because I feel like I've done all this work and, you know, I think the recovery piece is something I really want to be a part of as well. Um, and how do we recover? How do we come back from, from this? And so I think we will, it's going to take some time. And so I just kind of felt like I wasn't done yet, you know, and I feel like this two years, as much as the experience I've had has been amazing. It's also been like a very lonely experience in that, like I've missed seeing residents and constituents and being out there with the community. Yeah. I'm sure it's nice to even just be able to door knock to see people and to interact with humans. I know I've really missed that in the past couple of years. So Exactly. Okay, so I want to just take us back to the whole law thing for a minute. Um, you said that a bunch of people who are on the city council don't have law degrees. Obviously you do, and that was one of the things that attracted your constituents to electing you. But I'm just curious from your perspective how your legal training, going to law school, those things have informed you know, your government and public service work? Yeah, it, it's a range, you know, it can, it can start with something as little as if there's an ordinance that we're discussing, uh, or if there's memos that we're discussing, and there's typos in it, I'll be like, I'll redline that, you know, I'll be like, this is, you know, this is, <laughs> get that out of here. <laughs> right, like, this is a matter of this is public record, we want the best thing, I'll be on the public record. So, that's like a very simple way of how I've been able to bring that expertise because some people are like, oh, I didn't notice that typo, you know, oh, I didn't notice this, you know. So that's just on the basic level. I think on the more substantive level, I think, you know, we've been able to do, it. you know, work. It, it, it's actually informed my work, too. You know, I think about all the housing related matters that we get, you know, me knowing kind of the law right of how the you know the landlord tenant relationship uh you know i, I did, certainly didn't learn those ba- those specifics in law school but that training has allowed me to know it now you know and i'm not a i don't practice a, as mayor in a sense but it is helpful you know i will say this is not legal advice but you know i can <laughs> at least guide folks to the right people you know I have those relationships with the legal aid um, nonprofits. I have those relationships with the bar associations for with the various attorneys. And so um, I think that's that's been really helpful. And you know, sometimes, hey, I have if there's a constituent who's doesn't have a lawyer and they uh, the landlord's represented, I will call that landlord and just say, like, look, this is the mayor. I don't think the situation is you know, okay, and I'll, I'll give them my two cents. There have been really kind attorneys who I've spoken to. They're like, they relook at something. They're like, okay, you know, I was wrong here, you know. And then some are just, you know, they'll they'll ignore you <laughs> for the end of time. Yeah. But that I think helps that I can have those kind of conversations, of course, because they kind of understand the facts of a person's given 
given information. So it, it definitely helps. And I think um, really the, the tools like research, the writing, the uh, especially the, the two clinics I did because I did another clinic uh, and it was post-conviction relief. Uh, so kind of meeting all sorts of people, all walks of life, you know, all those kind of skills, speaking to everyone in the in the constituent services work I do is all helpful. Sambal, what recommendations would you give to law students who want to go into legal aid or public service? I know the clinics had a big impact on you in law school. What would be your recommendations for students? You know, I think for Northwestern in particular, I remember, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, they, I think, cared about the public interest, but we know so many friends, you know, that big law is kind of, that's kind of ingrained, right? It's yes. like, that's, that's this, this is this. And I think it is an option, right? It's a really good option. And if you have that opportunity, I think it's, you can try it out. You know, you should try it. You should, you should try everything. But I think if you do know early on that you want to help people, there's all these, you know, different fellowships that you can be a part of. You know, you can definitely, I think, clinical experience, any internships that you can get um, are really, are really critical. And then, you know, there are some, firms that will allow you to do more pro bono than others and so definitely i have friends who have found firms that kind of allow them to do that uh, and then i have friends who kind of just never went that route um most of them don't didn't go to northwestern <laughs> so i feel like i'm like my at northwestern like the folks i know i'm like their public interest friend you know and <laughs> who's in elected office but it's you know i think the advice is like it, it can be hard if financially too let's be real like if you have a lot of debt you know i think the public's i'm in the public service loan forgiveness program Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) will be for quite a while let's keep it going uh and so that those are options but i think it's it's definitely a choice but i think the way i look at it is like you have one life and i'm like what do you want to be doing and so i think it's maybe an oversimplification for people but it's like for me, I go back to, well, you know, I've, I've been able to help people. And I think that's, that's really important. So I think it's interesting that you say that because Hallie and I were sort of talking about on our first episode, the fact that we are in careers now that we sort of contemplated very early on and align with our value systems of where we came from. And it sounds like that's very similar to the experience that you've had, even though you had several other jobs along the way and sort of tried out different things, you ended up in public service because you wanted to help people and you're also, you know, back in the place where you grew up. Yeah, yeah, no, I think what I tell people is you're going to probably have a lot of different things that you can do and explore. And I think, you know, it's it's okay. I think I've talked to a few people lately who, are thinking about maybe transitioning to other jobs, but they've been at this one thing for five, six years, and how did they do it, and why do they do it? Because things are so okay, and you know, I, I've told told people to kind of think about you know where they really do see themselves, like five, ten years. Can you see yourself at the same place? What's more skills do you want to want to learn? You know, what kind of work do you want to do? Uh, so it's a very personal decision and I think it really I think you have to actually I think one thing that was one thing I did tell folks is to talk to as many people as you can who've gone through these different career 
transitions and uh, kind of get their take. And even if you make a mistake, it's okay. You can start something and then realize it's not working and do something else. We love that message here on personal jurisdiction because that, that's really what we want to communicate to our listeners is you can do different things. The first job you take isn't the job you have to be in forever. You can do something and have it not work out and do something else and life will go on. Okay, I have one more question for you. Um, this is something that we want to ask all of our guests um, and it kind of ties into what Hallie was just saying, but what does success mean to you? You know, I think success for me is helping constituents and whether it's something very small to, you know, a larger policy issue, whether it just relates to affordable housing, relates to tenant displacement or to anti-poverty work. I think success is knowing, you know, I'm kind of doing everything I can in the moment to be there for people. I love that. I think it's interesting just to hear everyone's different voices on this question, because in law school, I think we get a very myopic view of what success is. And so when you get out into the real world, success becomes so many different things to different people. Um, So it's really helpful just to hear that view, I think. Definitely. And I want, I would just want to plug a couple things for you, Sumble, because we have both really enjoyed listening to your podcast with the vice mayor and it's called Women Are Here and it's available on Apple Podcasts. So we'll include a link in our show notes um, for this episode. And of course, for all the Cambridge listeners out there, please keep that in mind as you're voting. Yeah, November. November 2nd. Um, that symbol is up for re-election. Even if you're not from Cambridge, I thought the podcast is super helpful to know more about like what the mayor and vice mayor are doing on the day to day, like what it looks like to be in, you know, an elected position because you guys do a great job of just, you know, obviously informing your constituents is the main purpose of it. But for people who want to just know what's going on on the day to day, sort of in an elected office position, I thought it was helpful for that too. So give it a listen. Definitely listen, and you can visit votesumble.com if you, you know, want to look at what I'm doing. Uh, and, yeah, reach out if I can ever be of service. Thank you so much for being here, Sumble. We're just so excited that you're our first interview on personal jurisdiction. So thanks for your time. Bye. See you next time. Don't go away. There's more to come in the due diligence portion of our show. This is Due Diligence, the part of the podcast where Allison and I reflect on what we learned from our guest and highlight a couple of things that really stuck with us from the interview. So Allison, I think we really hit it out of the park for our first um, interview with Sumble. I could not imagine a better guest to have to be our first interview on personal jurisdiction and provide us with just so many great stories and even sound bites about what her journey has been to mayor of Cambridge. So what was it from our interview with Sumble that stuck out to you? So I couldn't agree more. I think Sumble was an awesome guest. That was so much fun talking to her. I think, I mean, there's so many things it's hard for me to choose, but if I had to choose one, I think something sort of unexpected for me was that her 
career path, a lot of it sort of came out of the 2016 election and just the sort of political situation at the time and how that really motivated her to run for mayor. And of course, you know, this is a familiar story. Lots of people end up going into politics because they feel very passionate about a particular election um, or political, you know, climate. But I just hadn't thought that as much about that because she obviously is from Cambridge and she'd grown up, you know, using the housing programs and everything. And so her background was something I knew about and was, you know, excited to share with everyone, but also the political climate and how that sort of layered on to her really wanting to run at that moment in time. Uh, and I guess I should say for city council, she became mayor later. I thought that was really interesting and I think um, often impacts people's jobs in ways that we aren't necessarily thinking about at the time. Yeah, I that struck me too. And I think it relates to something else that she mentioned, which was that even at the time that she was thinking about running for mayor or putting her name in the hat on city council for mayor, she thought, I don't need to do this right now. There's going to be time. But sometimes you can't ignore the the signs that are coming your way when you think maybe something you were going to do something later on in your career but the environment and the moment is ready for you now and it's certainly true in Sumble's case that Cambridge needed and needs her and it's been perfect timing both for her and for the city so I like that one that's a good one okay so how about you what was something that really stuck with you well, I think we have, in editing this episode, we have so many great, I would say, words of wisdom from Sumble that I've thought a lot about since we interviewed her. And the one that um, stuck out to me was where she said, you have one life. What do you want to be doing? And she said, I've been able to help people, and that's really important. And Oof, yeah. it's not just about things that will look good on I don't know, a mug or something (laughs) or like on our Twitter page, which it certainly will look great as a tweet. But a reminder, too, that we we do have limited time. And um, if you are fortunate enough and strong enough to have done the work to understand what's important to you, then just get out there and do it. Easier said than done, certainly easier said than done. But I loved hearing that message from her. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just, I remember when she said that quote and I just kind of, I was like taking notes and I wrote it down and I was kind of coming back to it in the past couple of weeks because, you know, there's a lot of things that people, as we've talked about, can define as success. And just for her to put it so succinctly as, you know, I've been able to help people in this like one opportunity we get. Um, was just like really powerful and something I think, you know, everyone going into law school probably strives and wants to do um, the way that you end up doing that. And, you know, your sort of legacy, I think, you know, differs depending on what you want it to be. Definitely. Definitely. Again, a great start. I'm going to just continue to pat ourselves on the back for this first episode. But really, it was all about Sumble and her experience not only being a public figure but also with her wonderful podcast so we're so thankful to to have had her on please make sure to check out our show notes for more information about Sumble's campaign and some of the programs that she's involved with too 
And with that, we will end our first due diligence on personal jurisdiction, but we'll be back here next week. So make sure to subscribe and like and rate us five stars. We'll see you next time. Personal Jurisdiction is powered and distributed by Simplecast. You don't have to wait until next week to hear more. You can find us online at personaljxpod.com and on Twitter at personaljxpod. Don't forget to subscribe to Personal Jurisdiction on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen so that you can be updated on the latest and greatest from Personal Jurisdiction. If you like what you hear, make sure to rate us five stars and leave a positive review so that other listeners can find our show too.